this week, we're going to start a new series. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're actually going to start a little before Matthew chapter 5. But we're going to start a series on the longest recorded public message of Jesus in the Gospels. When Jesus spoke to a big crowd of people, this is what he said, and it's in, recorded in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 for us. We have two main goals here at Connective Church. One is that you would connect with other people. That's why we do that 90 seconds that we just did. We want you to meet new people, make new friends, have people that can pray with you, that can come alongside of you, that, can, that you know that, it's not, that life is not alone. We just came out of the series uh, and we talked about how uh, that peace is not the absence of conflict, it's loneliness. And so we want we don't want to be alone. And so we believe that we want you to connect with other people. We also want you to connect to God. We want you to connect to God. We want you to have a, a fresh and new connection with him. And every week you need to know this before we do our service, before anyone else comes in here, our team gathers and we pray for you specifically. We pray for you that God would take each and every one of us one step closer to him this morning. We prayed it this morning. We pray that every single week. You could be a devoted follower of Jesus for your entire life. And like know the Bible inside and out. You could be here today and you could be like, man, I don't really know if I'm a Christian or not. I'm just here just kind of asking questions. I don't know what's going on. Wherever you are on that spectrum, all of us can get closer to God. We can all take one step closer to God. And so that is our prayer for you. We want to connect with God in fresh and new ways. But to connect with God, we got to know what he said. Have you guys have ever tried to connect with someone? Like maybe you started dating someone and you guys just didn't talk to each other. Like didn't talk to each other. No texting, no like sliding in the DMs, no, no, no doing none of that. Like you just didn't do anything. You like nothing. Like I'm not calling her. I'm not talking to her. When she walks in the room, I'm walking out of the room like that. It just doesn't work. Right. It doesn't work. But so many of us were like, man, I would love to get closer to God. But we just don't we don't read his word. We don't look and see what he has to say to us. And so we want to look at that today. We want to look at Jesus longest recorded public message to us. My goal as a pastor is that you don't know about Jesus, but that you know him. I want you to know him. And so we want to look at the, through this sermon series, we're going to look at his sermon to us. We're calling it Red Letters. And the reason for that is some Bibles, maybe you have this Bible, uh, this type of Bible. My Bible does this. Uh, in, in the words that Jesus said, they're outlined in red. So what Jesus said, they're in red letters. Your version might not do that. That's okay. I'm not telling you to go get a new Bible. I'm just saying like that some Bibles have the words of Jesus in red. If you don't believe me, go to the Bible section, Barnes and Noble, look at it. And I, I promise you, you're going to find some translation with the Bible versions or with a, with a Bible that says that has Jesus words in red. This might be you might ask me, like, while we're here talking about translations, Pastor, what's the best translation for me to use? The best translation for you to use of the Bible is the translation that you will read. That is the best translation for you to use by far. So I'm not telling you, hey, man, you need to read the King James. You need to read the ESV or whatever. Read the get the one that you will read, that you understand, that you get, get that one, because the goal is that we read God's word and that we grow closer to him. If you've got a Bible that all it's doing is collecting dust on your shelf, it is doing you no good. Right. So find a Bible translation that you can read. Uh, if you're brand new 
to reading the Bible, or maybe you like something that's easier to understand in a modern language, there's a translation called The Message. When my daughter went off to college, my wife and I gave her a message Bible, and she loves that thing. It's hot pink. It's the craziest looking Bible ever, but that's what she loves it, right? Uh, maybe you're like, you like more formal Bible reading, like you like it to sound really formal, like church that you grew up in, and you like the King James. Fine, do it. Whatever version of the Bible you read, read it go for it. I'm for you. Let's go. I preach, um, if you guys are curious, because I never really talk about this, I preach out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. Why? Because that's the Bible I like to read, right? And so that's the one I go for. Am I, is this a commercial for that? No, but, um, but just that's the one I like. And if you want all the reasons, then we can talk later. It's not a commercial for this. FYI also, um, you'll notice that I don't really switch translations very often. And that's because I don't want to, what, what happens is, is because the Bible is, is talking to us and it's, it's in each translation says something a little different in a little different way. What, hap, what can happen is, is that I can go to different translations and I've actually done this before and a lot of pastors do this. I can go to each different translation and find the translation that helps me best make the point that I'm trying to make. However, as a pastor, and again, I'm not judging other pastors, but as a pastor, I don't really want to do that. I would rather shift my point to match the text than rather shift the text to match my point. Do you guys see what I'm saying? And so that's why a lot of times we're just sticking with one translation. We're going to stick with it. We're going to go with it, whatever. I'm really talking about translations a lot, and it wasn't my intent today. But anyway, let's move on, right? Let's move on. So we're talking about Jesus's big message to us, this red letter message where he just talks and talks and talks to his disciples in Matthew 5 verses 7. We're studying the actual words of Jesus in this section of Matthew that is called the Sermon on the Mount. That's what the, the Bible scholars and teachers, that's what they, they call this part of Matthew. And you might actually see that in your Bible as a title, the Sermon on the Mount. Now listen, today Typically, I'm going to read a lot of Bible verses to you guys. We're going to talk about it. Today, I'm going to give you a lot of background. So we're just going to be talking, teaching, this sort of thing. This is what we're going to be doing a lot today. Next week, I need you to stay with me because next week we'll actually like get really deep into the text and we'll like just go for it. But this week, I'm going to give you a lot of background so that I can build on that next week. This, uh, this part one, we're going to look at the prequel to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. So it kind of starts before Matthew 5. Uh, Matthew's kind of telling us what's going on and when Jesus gives this message to us. And we want to look at that, laying the groundwork for the next few weeks. And I want to start this series with this premise. And we've talked about this before, but I want to start with this idea. Everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. You could tell me that you are an atheist, meaning that you don't believe in God, but you still worship something. Everyone worships something. If you don't believe me, let's look at sports, right? I mean, as soon as the team scores, everyone's hands are in the air. They're screaming. They give large chunks of their income to the sports team of people they've never even met before. Like they just do it. It's like that's what happens with sports. Like people like just worship the team that they, they support. Grown men in our country have their entire moods and sense of self-worth affected by the score of their sports team. Like this happens, like this actually happens. And I'm not saying that sports are bad. I mean, it's just, it, it, is, it is what it is. Um, what if you're not into sports? Well, you know what, I got you too. Have you ever met someone who is, always feels like they have to bring a certain topic up in any conversation that they're in? You ever met a vegan? 
right? <laughs> They'll let you know. They will let you know. You ever met someone that does CrossFit? They will let you know. Like they will definitely, Bitcoin, if you're into Bitcoin, they will let you know that this is what they're into. Every single conversation, like they will let you know. And it, even like a COVID special, there's a vaccination like uh, thing, status. Are you are you for it? Which team are you on? Team Pfizer, Team Johnson & Johnson, whatever. Like people talk about this stuff all the time. It's like, man, like this like consumes my world in every conversation that I'm in. I have to bring it up. Like that's how it is, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? People are like that. Every conversation that we're in, we bring up this idea of, of, of something that we're following, something that we're participating in, something that, that we feel like we're a part of and something that is shaping our lives. And so everyone worships something. Before we begin diving into the text of the Sermon on the Mount, we, we, I want to talk about the background behind what Jesus is doing. But, but the background behind what Jesus is saying and what, what's happening here in Matthew as we study this text, as we study the words of Jesus to us. Early Christians, they called the message of Jesus euangelion. What that simply means, it's a Greek word, what that simply means is good news. That's where we get the word evangel, right? Evangelist, evangelist. That's the, where we get these words from. It simply means good news. People in Old English, they started using the word God spell. God meaning like a short form of good. Spell meaning story or, or, or um, news even. And so that's where we get the word gospel. And so that also means good news. Each uh, in these gospels were the good news to people. That's literally what they called it. And so if we were a part of the early church, like we were the first generation after Jesus ascended to heaven, they, you know, we call this our Bible and we call this, you know, God's word for us. But when, when these people met together around this text, this idea, the story of Jesus, what they called it was the good news. This is good news for your life. This is the story of Jesus. This changes everything. You've had a lot of bad news. This is good news. And so that's what they called it, this, this, this good news gospel in life. And so when we look at the first four books of the New Testament, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are called the gospels because what they do is they talk about the life of Jesus and the things that Jesus said to us. They, 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 they specifically lay out Jesus did this. He said this. He went over here. He talked to these people. He confronted these people. He accepted these people. He rejected these people. Like it just goes down the line of everything that Jesus did. And these four good news letters, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they start the New Testament. And the first one is the gospel of Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount, which we said earlier is Jesus' longest recorded public sermon, is found in chapters 5 through 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, which happens to be, again, the first in our Bible. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector. He was a Jewish tax collector. Now, do you like tax collectors now? Do you like the IRS? Do you enjoy the IRS? If the IRS called you or showed up at your door, would you be like, cool, come on in. Let's have some coffee. No, probably not. Like you'd be like all like, well, why are you talking to me? What, what, what did I do? You know, I feel bad for those people because they probably are some genuinely nice people. Some, some of them. Right. So the, I, the, the Matthew was a tax collector working for a Jewish government that was under the supervision of the Roman Empire. Now, 
That's what Matthew did. Matthew's original name was Levi. Jesus changed his name to Matthew later, but Matthew was a tax collector. This is what he did. This is what he did. Now, a lot of the tax collectors were hated people. People hated them because what they would do is the government would say, hey, um, so-and-so family, they owe $100. And so what the tax collector would do is they would, they would demand that the person would, instead of paying $100, oh, well, you know what? You owe 125 and the tax collector would pocket the other 25. And so people hated these guys. And this is what Matthew's profession was. This is what he did for a living. Now, Jesus had other disciples who were in different mindsets. They had other disciples that were called zealots. And these zealots, like literally these guys, they carried around a sword, a small sword. It was called a Sakari. They carried it on their person at all times because at any moment the revolution could start against Rome and we could get it going, right? So you had this disciple of Matthew that worked for the Roman government. And then you had these other disciples called zealots who were ready to overthrow the government at any time. These were the disciples of Jesus. And we're looking at Matthew here and this one guy and probably most of the people, they disagree with them. So here's a, just a, a random thought about Matthew and something that really matters to us today. And I would say it matters to us more probably every four years. Like if you had zealots and a tax collector all being followers of Jesus, it's probably it's probably safe to say that one's political leanings wasn't necessarily a litmus test for discipleship of Jesus. It just wasn't. Now, there's certain things that like, they, they had to be on the same page on and they had to agree on. But the fact that they thought that the government should do this and shouldn't do that or whatever, 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 like that just wasn't the case when we're looking at Matthew in, in comparison to the zealots. It just wasn't for Jesus. And so for us, like we probably need to be of the same mindset. Maybe there's a common ground that we need to fall upon. And that's the person and message of Jesus. This is where Matthew and the zealots came together and they, they, uh, they uh, identified with each other. So this is what's happening in Matthew. Jesus' ministry, it took place between 30 and 33 A.D. 30 and 33, about A.D., give or take a couple years because, you know, calendars back then were a little sketchy. So 30 and 33 A.D. And Matthew's gospel was written between 55 and 65 A.D. So when we're reading Matthew's book, when we're reading the gospel that, that, that is, is, is given to us through Matthew, this isn't necessarily something that happened like yesterday that Matthew's like writing down, right? We're seeing something that, that he wrote down about 20 to 30 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. And some of you guys might be like, whoa, that's a really long time. Well, that, that's kind of sketchy. Like why, why did it take so long? But I guarantee you today, if you're old enough to remember September the 11th, I guarantee you, you could write a detailed account of what happened on that day, right? We all could. If you're old enough to remember that day, you can say, I remember when this happened. I remember when President Bush did this. I remember when they said this. I remember when they grounded all the, I remember. And you could just write it down into detail. It is accurate. And so that's what happened with Matthew. You can imagine Jesus, this life altering event of the Messiah from heaven, God's son coming to earth. Like Matthew wrote this down because as he's getting older and as he's realizing that, look, I'm going to have to pass this gospel, this good news on to the next generation. I need to write some stuff down. And so that's what happened. That's where we get where Matthew is today. Jesus disciples were called apostles. And many of these apostles, they, they, they carried the authority of the early church because they had a direct relationship with Jesus. They had a direct relationship 
with Jesus. Matthew, again, he was, he was named Levi. Jesus gave him a new name. In, in first, or 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Matthew had a new name. So what was Matthew's message of the gospel? Why did Matthew write this? Well, he wanted to preserve the message of Jesus, but he also wanted to make a point. He also wrote this to people to make a point about what Jesus was trying to do on earth. This is what Matthew's point is. The whole idea, the theme of Matthew's gospel is this. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And what we hear in the, the gospel of Matthew is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. This suggests that God's kingdom is not at the end of time, but it is found in the person of Jesus. God's presence brings heaven here to earth, here and now through the person of of Jesus. When we're looking at the idea of like God's kingdom coming and what it's going to look like at the end times and how the world's going to end and all this stuff, the Bible talks about a lot of that. The Bible explains a lot of that. And the idea or the study of this is a term called eschatology. It's a big word, but that's just the idea of the study of the end times. What's going to happen? How, how are we going to get there? What's going to happen with God's kingdom? And, and how are we going to study it? Many Christians are super interested in this. Some of you guys might be super interested in what's going to happen or how's the world going to enter? How's God going to establish his kingdom? And, but, and Jesus actually talks about this a good bit in Matthew. If you read later on in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus talks a lot about how the world is going to, how it's going to happen, how he's going to come in judgment and how God is going to establish his kingdom and how all this stuff could happen. But the main message of Matthew is, is, is less about knowing what will happen then, but instead it's challenging us, you and I, to be ready now. So it's not necessarily about what's going to happen then. It's that we should be ready now because what could happen and what will happen could happen at any moment. Does that make sense? And so a lot of us, you know, we want to study the end times. We want to study, you know, well, this is what the Bible says and this is what's going to happen. And there's Antichrist and there's all this stuff. But really the goal of Matthew is you need to be ready now. And if you read the passages in Matthew 24 and 25, when Jesus talks about how the world is going to end, how he's going to come back in judgment, he says that he's going to come like a thief in the night. There's going to be people who are not expecting him. And so we have to be ready now. And so this is the idea that God's kingdom is coming to us. And that, that for Matthew, this idea is that the end is not very far off. It's not in some far off place in some far off time. It's rooted in the here and now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. A theologian named C.H. Dodd called this realized eschatology. It's happening right now. Now, when Jesus comes on the scene, when Jesus is born and he's born as the king, this is why Matthew starts with the genealogy. You don't talk about genealogies for people like, I mean, like, I mean, I guess Ancestry.com is cool and we're, some of us are into it. Right. But really, when you start talking about, well, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so and so was, was the father of so-and-so, pull that all the way down through history. You you're talking about monarchs at that point. You're talking about the people who are kings and queens at that point when you start talking. And that's how Matthew's gospel starts. And so Jesus, the king, is here. And because the king is here, the kingdom is here. And so this is Matthew's goal. We're invited to participate in the kingdom today through the person of Jesus 
Christ. This is Matthew's, one of Matthew's main points. The Sermon on the Mount takes place early in Jesus's ministry, and many people call it the manifesto for the kingdom of God. So let's read uh, Matthew 4, verse 23. And he went through all of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. He healed and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up the mountain. He went up on a mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him. So this is kind of the story that sets the scene of what's happening here with Jesus. When he's, Jesus is getting ready to give this sermon, he had healed people. He delivered people. He had proclaimed the good news that the kingdom of God was there. And so he, he was doing all of these things. And, and yet then he's like, you know what? I need to teach these people the ways of the kingdom. And so that's what Jesus is doing when we look at Matthew's, Matthew 5 through chapter 7. He's teaching the ways of the kingdom to you and to me. I want you to look at verse, uh, from uh, verse 25 in chapter 4 through verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. And I want you to look for two words. There's two words in your Bible. One word is crowds and one word is disciples. Crowds and disciples. You see that the crowds, they followed along. They followed along behind what was happening. So as Jesus did miracles, as Jesus proclaimed good news, as he healed people, as he helped people with seizures and, and let lame people walk again, and he healed people, as he did all these things, crowds followed him. They followed him. But then in chapter 5, verse 1, it says his disciples came to him. His disciples drew in. The crowds, what they did is they observed the show, but the disciples drew in. Crowds come for the show and then they leave, but the disciples had skin in the game. The disciples had skin in the game. With me today, I have, um, this is my, my soccer jersey for my team. This is Liverpool Football Club. I don't know know anything about Liverpool. Um, They're a team in England. And what happened is I became a soccer fan late in life. I became a soccer fan when I had a little six-year-old hyperactive girl who, um, who literally would like just run around our house. We had a kind of a kitchen with a bathroom in the middle of it, and it was like a track for her. And she would just run and run and run and run in circles, like just run all the time. And we were like, dude, where does this kid energy come from? Like, and, like wake up, spazzing out, go to sleep, spaz- like she was just energy all the time. And so Liz and I were like, well, what can we do? What sport can we put her into where she just runs all the time? Like where she just, she could just run. She could just never stop running. And we're like, oh, well, soccer will do that. And so I didn't, I grew up playing like two seasons of soccer, didn't know much about it, but I put her in soccer and I, co- I was coaching her team because, you know, that's what dads do. At least, I mean, I didn't know about a lot about it, but I was trying to coach. In her first game, she scored a hat trick. What that is is she scored three goals. That's, that's like hard to do. She scored in her first game ever playing. I was like, oh, you know what? I probably should learn more about this sport. And so 
I don't know if you guys know this, but there's this thing called time zones, and they play soccer in Europe, and the time zone here is different. So some of you guys, you, you might be like, oh, yeah, I'll wake up at 10 a.m. to watch a 1 p.m., you know, baseball game on the East Coast. Like, I'll do that. No, 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 no. For a noon kickoff of a soccer game in England, you're waking up at 4.30 a.m. to watch that, sh- that, 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 that show, that game here. That's what you're doing is, is you're going to watch that at 4.30 a.m. And so I would do this. I would wake up and watch these teams, watch these games, because I wanted to help my kid get to where she wanted to do. But in the process, I fell in love with a team. I, I got a team. I found a sport. I found something that I like to do. And, and, and I have this jersey. And I wear this jersey sometimes, but here's the thing. Like, I'm just a fan. I'm a fan. Like, I'll follow them around, and I'll even say things like, hey, we won the championship last year. Like, we, we, we have an injury problem this year. Like, we're having a hard time. But are, is it really we? Like, is it really we? You know, those of you guys who are sports fans, is it really we? Like, are you really, like, are you going to practice? Are you doing the stuff? Are you committing your life to learn this craft? Is it really we? Or are you just observing from a distance? And so for me, like, I mean, hey, man, this is my team. I, I, I have a jersey. You know, I bought it. They didn't give it to me. I have it, you know. Um, so I have this jersey, and I, and I follow this team, and, and I'll even say we and, and us, and we're, we're going to do this or that, or we're suffering this year, we're struggling this year. I'll say all these things, but I'm not on that team. I'm not a part of what they're doing. I mean, I'll follow it. I'll, I'll chase it around. You know, I'm watching it on TV from thousands and thousands of miles away, but I'm not a part of what's going on. And I think for some of us, when we talk about Jesus and what he's doing in the world, when we talk about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom is actively doing in our lives and in our world, some of us are content with just following from afar. Some of us are content with just observing what God is doing in the lives of other people. And we're not, we don't really care about what God wants to do in our own lives. Some of us are content with just saying, you know what, I'm okay. You know, there, there's this person and that person and I follow this person on, on social media and I read this person's book and I saw this person on TV and they're sharing all these stuff. Man, they're good for them. Good for them. But we don't do anything ourselves. We're out of the game. We're just fans. We're just fans. And so what, what my, the, the encouragement that we get from Matthew, from this, this text here, is that Jesus is doing something in the kingdom today, in the kingdom now. He's declaring, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom to those people there. And there are some crowds that will follow. There's some people that will follow, they'll observe, but they're not drawing into Jesus. They're not asking Jesus to shape them and to mold them and to participate in what they're doing. Fans don't have to practice. Fans don't have to face the dietary restrictions. Fans don't devote their lives to, de- to learning a craft or a sport. Fans like the team without paying the price to be on the team. And for some of us, the gap in our discipleship is not that, is not, you know, that God is just ignoring us or whatever. No, God is wanting you to step up. God is wanting you to be more involved. God is wanting to speak to you and direct you and encourage you and give you, uh, develop relationships with other people, put needs and burdens on your heart that you have to fill, that you have to rely on him, that you have to pray through, that you have to study. He's wanting to do these things to you. But for some of us, we're just content being a fan. But that's not what God is looking for. He's looking for disciples. There are fans and there are players. There are crowds and there are disciples. And the point I'm making today is this. 
I'm not really trying to separate you into two separate groups. I'm not trying to separate and say, who in here would identify today as a fan? Who in here would identify today as a disciple? I don't think that that's really accurate. I think it's far more nuanced than that. This is what I think it is. I think in every single one of our hearts, there's part of us that's a fan and there's part of us that's a disciple. There's part of you today that says, you know what? I'm committed to God. I'm following him. I'm doing what he's asking me to do. I'm doing. And but there's also part of you that's saying, you know what? I'm OK. I'm content with just kicking in neutral and just coasting. And that's not what Jesus is asking us to do. Maybe you're a follower with your ethics and your morals, but you're just a fan in your prayer life. Maybe you're a follower with your with your friendships and like how you've structured your social life and how you, you've served God. But but you're you're a fan with what you allow to entertain you, the things you listen to, the things you watch. Maybe you're a follower when it comes to Bible reading, but you're a fan when it comes to loving your neighbor. See, we have this whole thing like the, the Bible in Jesus commands to us. And we're going to get into this over the next couple of weeks. This is not just, uh, uh, you know, Jesus is like, hey, man, good job, guys. You're doing great. No, you need to buckle up because Jesus has some things that he's going to say to us in the next couple of weeks in, in, in Matthew chapter five verse seven, where it's going to identify in each of us. But there's parts of us that are just following from a distance. That's just being a fan. Because Jesus is doing this. And so for us, like we have to look and we have to say, God, what are you trying to say to me? Where are you trying to shape me? Where are the things that I'm following off or I'm not doing all that I could do to follow you? Because when we understand that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we understand that God doesn't want us to wait until he comes for us to go all in. When you look at what Jesus says later in Matthew, it's not, hey, whenever I come, you're going to have time to get everything together and start acting right. No, whenever I come, I expect you to be ready. Jesus wants us to go all in. But here's the thing. And some of you might be like, well, I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know how. I don't even know what, what I'm supposed to do. What, like, you know, am, am I supposed to, is God going to tell me? What, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? How do I go all in? How do I open up myself? How do I find the parts of me that are just a fan and not a fully committed disciple of Jesus? Well, I think the first thing that we can do is we can actually read our Bible and we can look through these next couple chapters and see this is how Jesus says that we should be acting. This is how Jesus says that we should be operating in the world. So the, the Bible will tell us. The other thing is, I think we can ask God. We can ask God, hey God, what are the parts of me that, that are just, just following you around like a crowd? You know, where I'm not committed, where I'm just kind of, I'm not being a part of what you're doing. What are those parts, God? Show those things to me. And here's the promise, and it actually talks about this in James. The, the promise is this, that when you draw near to God, when you draw near to God, when you say, you know what, I want to go deeper in my relationship with God. I want to know him in fresh and new ways. I want to be committed in areas that I haven't been committed in the past. When you go deeper in your relationship with God, when you draw near to God, like the disciples drew near to Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, when you do that, guess what the promise is? God will draw near to you. God will draw near to you. The relational measurement that we use gets measured back to us. James 4, verse 7 and 8. Submit yourselves to God, therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
And so if there's parts of you that are like, man, I am following God from a distance. I am, I am separated from him. There, you know, I'm, I'm good in these areas, but in these areas, uh, I'm, just, I'm just there when I want to be. When we're like that, we have to know that we can draw near to God and he will pull us in and draw near to us. And so the question today, before we get into actually what Jesus said and how all the things that he said, the question to us today is, what, what would you say in your life right now? If the Holy Spirit's talking to you right now, what would you say in your life is an area where you resemble being more of a fan of Jesus and not a disciple of Jesus? What is the parts of your life where you're just okay with coasting? What is the parts of your life where you're just like, man, I'm okay with just following from a distance? What are those parts? And allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the places where there's cracks in your commitment to God. Because God wants you to go all in. Jesus wants you to go all in because the idea, again, is this, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's doing some things. God's doing some things right now. God, you might, you might be like, man, we're in a pandemic and pol politically people are all over the place. I went to one place this morning. Nobody in there was wearing a mask. I went to another place. Everybody in there was wearing a mask. Everybody's fighting over whatever, whatever. And you might think, man, what am I going to do right now? Listen, I'm telling you, when people are confused and they're lost and they're broken and they're fighting and they're wanting answers, I guarantee you that they're looking for something that makes sense. The gospel makes sense sense. The gospel can heal. The gospel can set free. The gospel can, 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 can provide clarity to people's minds. The gospel can save from sin. The gospel can do these things. And for us, we have to look at our own lives and we have to say, what parts of me are not all in right now? Because we got to get all in. Because we need, there's a world that is lost, that's dying, that needs hope, and they need to know the message of us. And so for me, I don't want to be just a fan. I want to be a disciple.